Lord, uh, we are just so grateful for Faye and um, the way that she has been able to study this passage diligently and for the words that you have given her. Lord, we just trust in you and your plan and that each woman here this morning would hear the truth exactly the way that you want us to hear it. And um, yeah, would you just give Faye your peace um, as she brings um, your word to us? Thanks in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Can everyone hear me? Is the sound okay? On the other side. It doesn't, yeah. Let's see if we can get out or maybe a little closer. Oh. How's that? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can't hear me. One, two, three. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Feel like the Verizon lady. <laughs> oh, well, here we are. Samuel chapter 17. And it's the David and Goliath story. Now, of all the stories in the Bible, this is probably the most familiar. And if you've been in Sunday school, or even if you never darkened the day of the church when you were young, I'm sure you still would know the story of David and Goliath. It's just been so familiar uh, in and out of the church. Uh, it's a fascinating story. And on the surface, we might think that it just shows God's help for the underdog. After all, God really does like to uh, work through underdogs, through the weaknesses of his people. But we're no longer children, so hopefully we can take a little bit deeper look into this story and find some encouragement for us today, no matter what stage of life you're in, um, and ask ourselves, what is this story really teaching us? Is it more than learning to face the giants in our lives? I believe it certainly is. Now, today we're going to skim over the story. The story is so familiar, so anything that we tell about the story and the giant and all this is going to be very familiar. But we're, we'll go over it just so we can pull out some things that maybe God is telling us about this story that we have missed. Things that we can apply to our life that fit us today and fit those back then and that day as well. The battle scene is located 12 to 14 miles west of Bethlehem in the Valley of Elah. The Israelites are up on one side of the valley on the hill, and the Philistines are on the other. As we've seen in all the previous chapters, the Philistines have been longtime enemies of Israel. King Saul has faced them in battles. Some they won and some they lost. In this battle, we see the Israelites exhibiting the same fear that they had in other battles when they hadn't trusted or been obedient to their God. It seems like almost every story we've had so far in Samuel, we see disobedience or obedience or the failures of the Israelites. I mean, they just continue, continue, continue. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? 
as Goliath stood on his side of the valley, um, he was a frightful thing to behold. He stood over nine feet tall. He was covered in armor from head to toe. He was battle-hardened, and he didn't fear anyone, not even the Israelites. He thought he was invincible. And evidently, the Israelites thought so, too. So he was, the sun was glistening off of his armor as he bellows those words across to the Israelites. I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Verse 11 says that on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and afraid. This was to be a one-on-one battle with the winner taking all. Joyce Baldwin in her commentary on 1 Samuel says this, single single combat was not well attested in the ancient Near East, though it was used in conflicts between their gods. So she goes on to say that it's very likely that uh, the custom was imported by the Philistines. God's people fight, have fought many battles, but through all of those times, the victories and the defeats, God was faithful to them, even in his chastisement. His word and his power is true. But now, faced with being overtaken by this longtime enemy and becoming their servants, they had again lost sight of their God. Fear gripped them. How many times has it been obedience, non-obedience, trusting, not trusting? Now enters David. As we learned last week in Kim's talk, David was the youngest of the eight sons of Jesse. He was a shepherd boy. He was anointed by Samuel to be king, the next king of Israel. At the end of chapter 16, we see that David was in the service of King Saul. Occasionally, he would leave his sheep and he would travel to the Saul's palace to sing and play for him. I wonder what songs David sang. I would think that it would be some of the songs that he wrote and played as he was in the pasture with his sheep, telling of God's majesty and power and praising him. Those are the kind of words and songs that would encourage King Saul during those depressed times that he suffered. We often think of David as a little boy with a slingshot. But it's most likely that he was an older teen in his late teens. He was too young to be in the army, but he was old enough to travel by himself. The most amazing thing about David was not his ability to care and protect his sheep, nor his singing ability, nor his accuracy with a slingshot. It was his faith and his trust in his God. All of the other things in his life were faith-building experiences. Life events that were used by God to produce the character of a king and the forefather of the Messiah. We, like David, have life events. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. We might tend to look at the good ones as blessings 
and the bad ones as those moments when we say, God, where are you? Are you even real? Have you ever thought of those hard times as part of our walk with God? Times when we can draw near and place ourselves in his care as faith-growing experiences for us? Well, it would be good for us to remember Romans 8.28, where it says, And we know that, what? All. All things work for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. As a young boy, David spent much time with his sheep. In my early years of marriage, we raised sheep, lots of sheep. And it was really peaceful for me to look out the window and see all the sheep out in the pasture, the ewes grazing and the little lambs jumping and running and playing. And they were safe. They were safe inside of the acreage that we had pastured in. So we didn't have to stay out there day and night watching them. They had plenty of food and plenty of water. And it was easily accessible to them. They had a nice barn where they could safely sleep at night. And we had a dog that would keep a watchful eye on them. At times in the chilly, rainy spring, when the lambs were being born, we would have to bring one into the house because it was too weak to stand and nurse from its mother. I would put a diaper on it and change it, just like I would a child, and we would bottle feed it. This continued on until the weather was warmer until it was strong enough to go outside. It was part of our family by that time. It was like a pet in the house, and it roamed around with me continually changing that diaper. <laughs> Whenever I would go outside after it was out, and it had grown, even as, a, as it grew up, when it would see me, it would come by to the field, uh, through the field to the fence, thinking that maybe I had a bottle or something for it. It reminded me of. Uh, Jesus's words that his sheep know his voice. Well, it was a much different shepherding experience for me than it was for David. Let's imagine David alone with his sheep day and night, away from his house, leading the sheep from place to place to find green pastures where they could feed, rest and fresh water where they could drink safely. The terrain there was rocky and slope, you know, bumpy and hilly. And really there was not a lot of grass. So David did have to take his sheep all around different places, finding grassy spots where they could graze, much different than the pasture I had. At times he might've been awake all night with a sick ewe or lamb there was also a constant threat to his life and to the life of the flock by the animals that roamed that land. I'm sure that some of those long days were what most kids today would call boring. Maybe he enjoyed honing his skills with his slingshot, and that could be fun. And he probably did do that a, a lot. But I would imagine it would become a little bit boring, too, after a while. 
Well, we all know and sing many of the songs that David wrote. I think this is something he loved to do. Did the words he wrote just pop into his head? Or was he a clever poet who could put words and thoughts together easily? Hmm, I don't think so. David's psalms were words from his heart. And they were words from God himself. Acts one sixteen tells us the Holy Spirit spoke through him. In Acts 2.30, Peter calls him a prophet. The Psalms are part of our Bible, God's holy word. And they came from David spending time alone out in that pasture, boring times, fighting off animals, and spending time meditating on his God, seeing how God was caring for him, learning, thinking of the creator of the universe, and everything in it. And he remembered Yahweh's faithfulness to Israel. David was in God's classroom. He might have been in a pasture, but he was in a classroom. He was growing in the knowledge of God, knowing that God heard his prayers and that he could and would take care of him. All of David's life was ordered by God. Even the times in his adult life when he sinned terribly. And we can read about that in 2 Samuel. Every day was a life event that was building his character, the character of a king. Just think about the 23rd Psalm. David compares God's love and care for him as he cares for his sheep. God provides everything the sheep need. They have nothing to want. He leads them to green pastures where they can eat and drink safely. He guides them to the right paths. Right paths, even if those right paths were through very dangerous territory. They had no need to worry or be afraid because their shepherd is there with them and he will protect them. I've been through some dangerous and troubling places many times, and I know that many of you, if not all of you, have also. God promises us that he will be with us through all circumstances. This, in, in Hebrews 13.5 and Joshua 1.5, it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. That is a promise that we have from God. That is God's character to keep his promises, to never leave us, even through some of those times when we might have wondered, are we alone? Is God healing? Where is he? It was true then that he kept his promise. It's true today, and it's going to be true for us tomorrow. David knows that God would take care of him. That's why he can stand against the giant when the entire army shivered at the sight of him. That's why we can stand as we walk through our life events. Back to our story. As mentioned before, David traveled between his home and the palace of the king whenever the king needed his service. But at this particular time, 
He was sent by his father, Jesse, to take food to his three older brothers who were part of Saul's army and on the battlefield. David was greeting his brothers as David came forward and again shouted his usual words, asking for the Israelites to choose one man to fight him. Goliath had been doing this for 40 days, morning and night. When David heard him say, this day I defy the ranks of Israel, give me a man that we may fight together. It angered David because Goliath was not just dishonoring Israel. He was dishonoring the God of Israel. David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Note, he didn't say the armies of Saul or the armies of Israel. He said the armies of the living God. All of the men in Saul's army would not take the challenge. Only David, a young man who had spent enough time with God to know that he would take care of him and give him the victory. I was talking as I was preparing this, I was talking with a friend who had said, I wonder if David's youthfulness might have played a role in his courage facing David. Hmm, I stopped and had to think about that for a minute. Well, I guess it could have. Maybe it probably did. Matthew 18.13, Jesus says to us that we need to come to him like little children. Well, what is it about little children? They're, they believe easily. They trust easily. I mean, look at how many of them trusted us when we told them there's a, you know what? At Christmas. <laughs> when we first come to faith, we are spiritual children. We're eager to learn. We want to grow in faith. We see God's power. We're, you know, excited about it. I remember when I first came to faith in Christ, I was full of zeal. My faith was strong. I believed God could do anything. I would pray about anything, expecting it to happen. And that was all before my adult fears and lack of trust crept in. Let's be like little children. I don't know about you, but sometimes it doesn't take much for me to feel inadequate and weak, to become discouraged. David's outspoken response to someone defying God makes me wonder, what would I do? If I was confronted by a big decision, would I be like Saul's soldiers and shrink back waiting for somebody else to come forward? Would I be um, strong? Would my faith and trust stand firm? Or would it fail? Well, we might never face a battle. I doubt very much if we're ever going to face a giant. But we do have decisions that we need to make every day. Decisions on whether we're going to honor God or dishonor God. Whether it's participation in something that's dishonoring. Or shrinking back when we see a wrong being said or done. Or afraid to speak up when faced with defending our faith. Or maybe it's just failing to trust God when we walk through those life events. <laughs> 
Dale Davis in his commentary on 1 Samuel says this. The tragedy is that were someone to hear our thoughts and words in our dangers and troubles, they would never guess that we have a living God. I'm guilty. Probably some of you are too. Now, Saul being told that David had accepted the challenge, he sends for David and tries to dissuade him from fighting, saying, look, you're young. You don't know how to fight. You're inexperienced. Goliath is a seasoned warrior. But David responds in the verses 34 through 37. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when he there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, he shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. How many times David kept saying the living God, armies of the living God. As he finished in verse 37, he said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. So Saul concedes, but he thinks David needs some protection. So he dresses him in his own armor. His helmet was put on his head and the sword was fastened on. Now we've learned in other chapters that Saul was a pretty large man. So his armor was so heavy that David could barely walk, let alone fight. He tells Saul, thanks, but no thanks. David proceeds out to meet the Goliath, picking up five smooth stones from the path along the way. The sight of this young man with no armor, no weapons, angered and insulted Goliath. But David says in verse 45, you come to me with sword, spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. As I studied that little section of the story, I was reminded of Anthony's sermon series on Ephesians, especially the sixth chapter where Paul tells the Ephesians and he tells us today to put on the whole armor of God. You see, we all need armor, protection of some kind, whether it's physical protection or spiritual protection. We have seatbelts in cars, helmets on our heads for motorcycle and bike riders, shoes on our feet, clothing for our bodies. Both David and Goliath needed armor. Goliath had man's armor, but David had the armor of God. Way before Paul wrote Ephesians, David knew that his God would give him the protection that he needed. We would be wise if we refreshed our memory sometime by going back and looking over Ephesians 6 and the spiritual armor that God gives us. It's a one-size-fits-all, and it doesn't need any alterations. In the last verse of this chapter, it tells of Saul watching David go out to meet Goliath. And he asks Abner, who, who is this young man? 
which is kind of a strange thing to say, considering David had spent a lot of time in Saul's service. Well, a couple things about this. The commentators said there had been some debate about this question, but it could have been that Saul might not have recognized that this was the same young man that had served him. As one commentator says, he had matured into a bearded young man who looked very different from the youth of 1 Samuel 16. Or it could have been that Saul wanted to make sure it was David, since he had not only promised wealth to the winner and his daughter in marriage, but also tax-exempt status to the family. So as the story ends, David does have the victory. Verse 50 says, David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the enemy of Israel, the Philistine giant, and he killed him. Yahweh remained true to the covenant he had made with Israel. He made, he remained true to the covenant he made with David. And he remains true to the new covenant that comes to us through our Messiah, Christ Jesus. We, like King Saul and the Israelites, have our moments of faith when we remember God and we trust him. We remember how he carried us through those difficult times, brought us victory. But we also have our moments of weak faith, times when we're afraid, we're unsure of our circumstances or what lies ahead. And we also have an enemy. The enemy is more powerful than that Philistine giant. He's a very real enemy who is constantly desiring to sift us like sand, to destroy us, destroy our faith and rule over us. First Peter 5.8 says he's like a roaring lion, roaming around seeking whom he may devour. But praise God, we have assurance, assurance from God in his word in 1 John 4.4, 4, that greater is he that is in you and me than he who is in the world. Like the Israelites in our story today, we might ask ourselves, who can fight this battle for us? Who can save us from our enemy? Well, the battle with our enemy took place over 2,000 years ago. On a hill called Golgotha, it also was a one-on-one -on -one battle with the winner taking all. The spoils, had he won, were the souls of mankind. His opponent had no armor. He had no weapons. And though he was a king, he did not call on his army of angels to come and rescue him. He just went into battle alone for all of us, relying on God, his father, to give him the victory over this enemy. And he did. We have a God we can depend on. We have no need to fear. We are loved 
and we are protected. He leads all of us through our life events, good and bad. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. He will never, he will always be with us in, as we place our life, our weaknesses and our hope in him. The final victory has already been won by our Lord Jesus Christ as he died on the cross, as he rose from the dead, as he ascended into heaven, and as he is coming again. He's coming to bring us, all of us, into our promised land forever. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we study your word today, we're convicted that our hearts have failed to trust in you at times. We have failed to recognize the victory we have in Christ Jesus. Forgive us and help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in faith and desire to know you and love you more fully as we wait for the return of your son our Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.